Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. Hey guys, uh, thank you for joining us today on Theology in the Dirt. Uh, host Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly, and we have a guest today, a special guest that we're we're glad to have on, uh, Lieutenant Commander Dr. Chris Auger, and uh, he's been a joy to get to know over the past few months, and uh, today we're going to be talking about leadership, and so we're going to be interviewing Chris and uh, d- discussing basically uh uh, some issues regarding leadership. So Chris, why don't you start us off by telling us about you. Tell us about, about your background. Tell us about uh, your service in the military, uh, your education uh, in a doctorate and becoming a Christian. So tell us a little bit of your story. I'd say it's a pretty eclectic story. I grew up Catholic, not really knowing the Lord. In fact, um, me and my uh, two younger brothers were asked not to come back to CCD because we, uh, we kind of, they didn't appreciate our perspective on attending Saturday morning. So uh, we, we, we hit a point where they went to mom and said, you know, maybe this isn't for them. So, Typical boys, right? Well, that's kind of where we were at with it. But uh, so it was, uh, but that's, you know, I'm not bashing anything. I'm just kind of putting it out there. But uh, my dad was in the SEAL teams. Um, I started out going to college, uh, at Old Dominion University and there's no way I was going into the Navy cause I didn't really know my dad cause the amount of time he spent deployed. Mm-hmm. But after staying out of school for a year, waiting on financial aid to start and the government changing the rules on whether I was on my parents' income tax or not, I didn't like paying for school. So I figured I'd let the military do it. Mm-hmm. So I joined the Navy and then lo and behold, took the SEALs test passed the test and made it out to San Diego where I graduated from the basic underwater demolition seal training in December of 1988. And that began my trek as a Navy SEAL. At that point in time, I was enlisted and I went up through the ranks to chief and that took about 10 years. And then about that point in time, I decided it was time for a change because uh, I loved being a SEAL and I loved my family, but I kind of fell in love with my family in a different way and elevated them above being in the teams. Hmm. I took a break in service and jumped into the reserves and picked up a commission. Um, It was at that same time that I actually met the Lord, Um, came home to a note one night from my beautiful bride, and it pretty much said, you come home this late again, we won't be here. So I had a decision to make. (laughs) Right. And I looked in the mirror and literally it was a, man in the mirror moment and said you're not the the man you want your daughter to marry or the husband your your wife deserves so what are you going to do about it and uh that's when uh i invited the lord into my heart and started walking with him and that was in february of 1998 Mm. and then uh, i was recruited to uh teach mission planning software and processes to the seals and did that for about five years while I was a commissioned officer in the reserves in the SEAL teams. In 2005, they mobilized me back to active duty. And I spent my year in San Diego uh, 
at the Mission Support Center. Okay. Basically delivering intel on demand to the folks that were forward. Uh, they appreciated the work I did and asked me if I'd want to come back full time. I went to my girls and asked them, said, hey, they're asking me to come back full time. What do you think? And they said, hey, you love being in the teams. We're in a good place here as a family. We had a church family at the time. We were all walking with the Lord. So I said, sure, let's do that. And then uh, on or about, uh, I think right after it was May of 2011, when we dispatched bin Laden, mm -hmm. that I deployed to Pakistan. Uh, they weren't real happy with SEALs at that point in time, but they allowed, uh, they allowed me in because they wanted the training. Right. And uh, that was my final deployment coming back from that because I did six months in Pakistan. Okay. My uh, spinal surgeon informed me that I'd probably put about eight or nine lifetimes on my spine and it wow. might be time to go do something else. So two neck injuries and a stroke later, I uh, retired. <laughs> wow. And uh, in the process of retiring, I looked at my bride and said, well, what am I going to do in my spare time? And she kind of looked at me and said, I will not be your hobby in retirement. Mm. And I said, well, I'm going to go back to school then. And uh, she's remembering the first two times I went back to school for undergrad and master's. And she's like, I don't want you to go to school. And I went, well, then you get to be my hobby. And she went, go back to school. <laughs> so I went to Regent University and uh, pursued a doctorate in strategic leadership with a concentration in leadership coaching. And uh, my main premise was to come out of that, being able to do things, two things is being a teacher at the highest level or a right. professor um, at the doctorate and the master's level. And then as well as coaching and coming alongside folks in leadership performance and being able to do that in a Christian or a secular world, but regardless, the individual would be receiving a Christian-oriented and based coaching perspective, grounded in truth. Wow. So uh, by 2017, we decided to come down to Georgia because my daughter fell in love with a gentleman in Douglasville. And mama once again said, how come she gets two and I get none, referring to the new mother-in-law? And I went, how about we go down to Georgia and check it out? And yeah. we did. So uh, we got here in May of 2017. I tried to get a position at Chick-fil-A Support Center in their training department. They were consolidating their training efforts there. And I made it to the final round and I got the call that I was not selected to continue on. Now, that was a strange feeling for me because I had never not gotten anything I'd ever pursued in my life. So right. that was different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I was doing the happy dance because I wasn't on the 19 for three hours a day of my life. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I cut those teeth and climbed those ladders. That's not what I was looking for. And then uh, I ended up getting recruited, strangely enough, through LinkedIn at Windshape uh, Teams for a position as a team and leader development consultant. So the preparation or the gauntlet at Chick-fil-A Support Center, because it is a very extensive hiring process, they hire well, so they don't have to fire well. Mm. And uh, Windshape is very similar to that as a 501c3 foundation of the Kathy family. Right. And going through their process, I was able to win them over. In fact, my final uh, exercise of taking servant leadership and putting into application, I took my then supervisor and his supervisor out to a golf cart and blindfolded the driver and had the passenger tell the driver how to drive around the campus. 
oh, wow. utilizing servant leadership principles. Now, it's quite interesting to see the lack of control someone has and the control they try to maintain without their vision driving down the road. So I won them over and they invited me to uh, partake. And I've been at Winshape now since uh, September of 2017. Wow. That's a that's an absolutely astounding story and and, and the convergence of, of of worlds and the question that comes to my mind uh, as you're telling that story and Keith I'm sure you 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 have tons of questions as well is how does the leadership you learned uh, as a SEAL mesh with the academic training you got uh, in your doctorate in uh, strategic leadership. What, what did those worlds mesh well? Did you find things in conflict, and how did you sift those things out? Well, it's it's interesting for me because I get to look back now and and see how it occurred. And the reality is, is 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 that the idea of servant leadership has been there all along. Hmm. And the masters I have is in global leadership with an emphasis in project management and business. So that combined with the doctorate right. really paired well with what I learned in the SEAL teams because when you were going through the basic underwater demolition SEAL training, you start out, it's a six month program, you start out the program, it's already kind of a, an attrition process to even get a seat on the team to begin with. Right. But you start out with about 150 or 160 people and you finish the six months with right around 30 people, mm -hmm. give or take, depending on the strength of the class and the relationships in the class. Right. And that means people either get medically dropped, performance dropped, which are not as common as people walking up to a bell and choosing to, to opt out. And they literally ring out of the program. Right. And what you learn in that process is, is that you don't want to be the one to let the team down, the people standing next to you or your leadership. Now, what they do in the SEAL teams is they actually take that and then they elevate it because then once you get into a SEAL platoon, you're given a particular job. It could be life support systems and diving. It could be as the ordinance rep. It could be as the corpsman or it could be as the communications person or as the air ops guy hmm. where typically you have charge, you have been given stewardship of a bunch of gear and kit that if you don't do your job, well, hmm. other people won't come home. Wow. And no one wants to be the person that is responsible for somebody not making it back. Right. Or letting the platoon down or the leadership down. So you then start taking that leadership role on where you then start understanding that, your leadership, you know, I like to tell people that it, it, it's funny when I hear people call themselves a leader. Hmm. That's just like me saying, I'm humble. Just ask me. Hmm. The reality is, I mean, would you think I'm very humble if I asked you if I was humble? Yeah, I wouldn't think you were very humble. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so humility is, you know, right. evidence of having been humble. Leadership is evidence of having led. Lots of people out there are in charge of things. Right. But leadership really doesn't. I mean, that's given to you by the people that you've actually led and influenced in a specific way. Right. So in the SEAL teams, servant leadership, they don't necessarily identify it as servant leadership, 
but you're always in it for something bigger than yourself and others. Wow. And that's really what I saw now that I look back at all those years. Now, throughout that process, I mean, I started in a command and control mindset because that's what the military teaches. Right. But then I learned the, the player coach model and the quarterback model and even a high performance team, which is more about what a SEAL platoon is, where everybody has those relationships and the officer in charge is willing to not abdicate, but to give his leadership to somebody else. In other words, somebody 10 pay grades below him that packs his parachute. Right. He's, they're the jump master. He's going to give leadership of that jump to them. Then once everybody gets on the ground and has buried their parachutes, he takes that leadership back. So what I've really learned today now is, is that leadership is a lot more about leading, following, and teaming from moment to moment and how eloquently we do that with those around us. Mm. So leadership That's is, rich. yeah, I mean, servant, and, and for me, servant leadership is the form of leadership that is out there. It is the hardest form of leadership. That's good. That's good stuff. Hey, guys, let's take a break, and uh, we're going to come back and keep talking about leadership. Chris, what uh... – what I know the tra transition, um, I was never in the military. My father was in the military, and, and thanks for your service, by the way. Yes. I told you that before, but that, that's <laughs> worth saying again. Mm -hmm. um, I was never in the military, but I, it seems that leadership in the military setting and transitioning to a civilian world might pose problems um, and, and be different somehow. I know maybe fundamentally it's not different, but as it functions, it might be. At, what was that transition like for you moving from the military world to the civilian world? And, um, and, you know, Mitch has already alluded to this a little bit. You're working on your PhD or, or your doctorate in leadership as you're realizing maybe that, uh, that leadership in a world that's not military is a little bit different than the world that's, that's uh, military. It's interesting because I don't necessarily for me, leadership is the same regardless of the sphere of influence. And the challenge is, is that in the military, if you don't lead well, people don't come home. So the, the stakes tend to be a lot higher. Right. Now I say that, but that's <clears throat> coming from, you know, a very secular perspective. Because if I take that same belief system into my faith, my failure in leadership, the stakes are pretty high. That means somebody's not going to go be with the Lord for eternity. Mm. So I, I think it's just, you know, it almost becomes more geography. The problem is, is that a lot of people look at their leadership and they try to lead differently in their different spheres. And, mm. you know, they, they lead this way at work. And then when they come home to the family, they try to lead in this way. And then when they're with their friends, they're this kind of leader. And I often call those folks a very schizophrenic leader. Mm. Because oftentimes what happens is under stress, when we're hangry and hungry and tired, what's really in us comes out. And if we lead in a particular way, we may gravitate and use a form of leadership that we might use with somebody we have at work with those that we love most and it might not be well received but if we focus our leadership in the context of being a servant leader 
then we can be the same kind of leader regardless of the sphere of influence that we're in and what comes out of us. You know, I like my leadership to be guided by the fruit of my spirit. I often tell folks that when you're looking at how you're leading, if you're doing anything that is in disagreement with the fruit of the spirit, odds are you're not leading well Mm. or to the potential that you could be leading with. Mm. So it's, I would say that it's more, it's less about the transition from the military to the world and more specifically about the realization of how important our leadership, teamsmanship, and followership is. Because the perspective is very similar regardless of what you're doing in those, but you're going to move in and out of those in our spheres of influence, in the roles that we have that. Like in my family, I'm the head of my household, but I'm also a teammate with my bride. But I'm the father of my daughter. So I've got multiple roles in one sphere, but I'm still going to be a servant leader in all of those roles. Mm-hmm. At work, I'm a teammate. I'm a follower. I'm a leader on certain projects, but I'm still going to be a servant leader in that because I define servant leadership as someone with the unshakable desire to enrich the lives of others. And that, that word enrich is to give value or to add value. Now I can replace leader in that instance with teammate or father or husband or father or brother or friend. Right. The definition still applies across all of that. So if I'm concentrating on being a servant leader, teammate, follower, Hmm. those all then roll into how I actually perform and conduct myself in those various spheres and roles that I have. Right. When you talk about leadership philosophy, it's clear for you, for, for you. And, and I, I think we, we would, we completely would agree with this and, and absolutely shake out with this together that servant leadership is, is the model most effective. And I, and I would even argue biblically is the example the Lord Jesus set for us. You mentioned, you talked about leadership, teamsmanship and followership. Uh, how do those function all together at one time? Can, do they all function together? Are they separate components that you exercise at different times? Can you be all three at one time? How does that play out? See, it gets back to the example I used from the SEAL teams is, is that I, I think they all coexist and we have to let go of our ego and be willing to flow in and out of them. Sometimes we're a teammate. Right. Sometimes we need to follow. It's like I said, that officer in charge of a platoon, the platoon OIC, it would be insane for him to not let go of his leadership and give it to the very junior E5 that is the free fall jump master who packed his parachute right. to give him his jump master checks to make sure that he put all of his kid on mm. safely before he jumps out of a perfectly good airplane. Right. But then on the ground shoots to recover that e5 is now you know he it's not that the officer in charge takes his leadership back he gives it back willingly and it just flows very very naturally Hmm. so in that moment that officer is following that enlisted because of the expertise needed at the time but then when it's time for him to take it back he takes it back and gives it to the point man who's then going to take the platoon and lead them out towards their target. 
right? So there's this constant flow, they call it a maturation. If you've ever seen like a flock of birds trying to avoid a flock, a uh, hawk trying to come in and eat one of them, it's a couple thousand birds all at once flowing very, very naturally in and out of a different shape. And different parts of the group take leadership and the rest follow and then they'll team to kind of come around the hawk so that it's either the hawk or the falcon will, is coming in for them but it's a very natural flow. So when we think about our leading, teaming, and following, regardless of our sphere of influence, whether it's work, whether it's home, friends, church, if we were to think about that perspective, how do I flow in and out of teaming, following, and leading moment to moment? What's, what's needed in the moment? And then am I being that to the best that I can? Am I adding value as a follower here? We've all had those very painful followers right. that we had to talk to. Right. But then my question to leaders all the time is, have you ever been that painful follower? Mm. And I think we could all raise our hand. So right. same thing about being a teammate. We've all had those teammates that we really didn't want on the team. They were extra grace required. <laughs> but have we ever been that person needing the extra grace? Mm. So, and then how do we offer that when it's needed? Yeah. And same thing, you know, it, it's the idea of leading. We've all been in a leading position and we've had those challenging folks. Have we ever been that challenging folks? I mean, I like to ask people oftentimes is, is that if you had to lead you, would you? Mm. That's a challenging like, question. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, what are some things uh, in your experience that interrupt that flow? Uh, that flow that seems that birds, I mean, cause that's a beautiful picture, how they work so effort, effortlessly together to avoid being eaten. What are some things for us humans who have a tendency, we, we would say we're more intelligent than birds, yet if you looked at us trying to avoid uh, something trying to eat us, it surely wouldn't look that pretty. What are some <laughs> of the human characteristics that you've experienced that interrupt that flow? Well, I think it, it's, it's when we let ourselves get ahead of us when we forget about there's a bigger picture right it could be pride it can be ego again it's all the things that come into the opposites of the fruit of the spirit it's everything that the lord asks us not to be that we let those kind of seep in and then it interferes and it gets in the way of us being who he's designed us to be yeah that's good that's good stuff what about uh you had mentioned um You've mentioned Christian leadership and and other things uh, associated with that, Chris. Is there a is there a distinctive in your mind between Christian leadership and secular leadership as you've experienced it? I, I mean, what I try to focus people on is is that what are you using to guide your leadership? And for me, there's only one truth. If I'm trying to use anything else, then it's going to be flawed. So for me, leadership is leadership, and it should be grounded in the biblical truth. Because the Lord has given us, from the beginning, he has given us the information we've needed in how to lead well. Now, whether we're willing to listen and follow that is, you know, that's a, probably a, another topic for another time. But mm. I, think, I don't think there's a difference in the leadership when we're talking about leading from servant leadership. 
as long as it's grounded in that biblical truth. Hmm. Because then it won't be about self. It'll be about something bigger than you. Man, that's solid. Hey, guys, appreciate your thoughts. A lot of fun. Love doing this and uh, enjoy doing it with you. And and, uh, we're going to continue to do it. So, guys out there, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Y'all have a great day. See ya. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions that you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week. And until then, deuces.